I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. I am not Juliet. Hi, everybody, and I am not Theo. And, and this, this is, is Apologies Accepted, the, the podcast. podcast. Yay. Yay! Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, we're very happy to be here today. Happy that you're here, too. Um, Theo's looking around for his dog, so he has a puppy now. I guess we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, the puppy's learning how not to pee on everything. And I am learning how to not step on the puppy. <laughs> that is my one job. But he looks like a very good dog, and he's very cute. So he's a, a, a labradoodle. Golden doodle? Golden doodle. Golden doodle. Um, very sweet. And although they are hypoallergenic, air quotes around that, uh, yeah. James is having allergic uh, reactions. But Uh-oh. they're mild compared to other uh, reactions he's had around dogs. So he's trying to get— Is he able to take medication? James to ease the symptoms. Why did I think the dog would be taking the medication there? (laughs) (laughs) Do they have medication for dogs that prevents allergies for humans? Because not yet. Oh my God, I'm going to get all the dogs. Um, (laughs) So the short answer is yes. And then he just needs to get in to see an allergist. But in this age of COVID, uh, it is hard to see any doctor period. Not because the allergist has anything to do with COVID. It's just everybody's book solid for like weeks and weeks and weeks out. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know if it's an Austin thing or cause it's not like James had to run to the allergist every, every five minutes or whatever. What am I saying? I, right. I don't know. It just, you know, yeah, we, we both have seen allergists. If you live in Austin, you develop allergies, oh, right? I see. Cause everything's in bloom every week of the year. Uh, Mm -hmm. that is just how it is here. And so anyway, uh, yeah, he's trying to get in and we will see, but yeah, that's kind of, um, my life has just been, I call it potty training. And I think that's humanized, not humanizing, but anthropomorphizing and you know, that word (laughs) anthropomorphizing show off. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? You're supposed to get it wrong, too. Um, I thought you called it potty training. I do call it potty training, but I think we should call it house training or housebreaking. Oh, house training. Housebreaking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it seems like he's doing really well, so he's a smart pup, too. He is is great. He is fine. But it's such the focus of my life that even though I got vaccinated, which should be the only thing I talk about. That is fan-fucking-tastic. What a miracle. Jesus God, I'll tell you. Uh I forgot. I want to come out there just so I can get vaccinated. You should. So, and then you can help me potty gonna... train the the puppy. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll come out in a few months. <laughs> oh, ideal thing. Okay. But yeah, so my life, potty training and, uh, and vaccine. Um, and James is getting vaccinated, what, today or tomorrow? He's getting vaccinated tomorrow. And so yeah. um, I got super lucky. He sent... All right. So here's what happened. He sent me a text message and said, oh my God, Austin Public Health is opening up vaccines, go log online. They're going to 
start enrolling people at 6.15 p.m. So I was online at like at 6 p.m. You were ready. Couldn't figure out how to um, get in and then did. It's not a very user-friendly platform. Um, yeah. But then got to it and then James called me and he wanted to talk to me about the pathway and how to get to where I was at. And I was like, I literally have just been hitting buttons and swearing. So yeah, if that's not yeah. working for you, you're using the wrong <laughs> swear words, right? Um, anyway, I got in and then I had to hang up so I could concentrate. And uh, I got lucky. I was one of the first 3,000 people in. Boom. Amazing. Um, James wasn't as lucky. And so he uh, got very smart and started looking at surrounding areas and there's a mm -hmm. lot of like small little towns around austin mm -hmm. and uh basically he found one that's about an hour and a half north and they have loads of vaccines and perfect he's got an appointment for tomorrow he'll drive up and boom. perfect i'm so jealous of you both it's like california doesn't have enough vaccines for the 65 and older people it seems like so they're not giving them out to anyone else and uh i i don't know of any small towns that are even um doing what that small town is doing and uh, wherever it is so so i just have to wait my turn which is fine i'm good I, i'll just I, it's not like i would be going out and partying anyways <laughs> oh no totally right no i mean deal. yeah it's still like oh my god but i'm going to say and i think this will make sense for everybody um there is this for me there is this relief like yeah i bet oh my god i am not gonna definitely die of covid for sure now right. it's just i might catch it i might blah right. blah 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 i've never been worried about passing it on to anybody else yeah i've just been worried about me <laughs> me not dying that's all yeah. i want out of life yeah. which is the definition like of life as long as I don't leave the house very much, I'm probably not going to die of COVID. Then I don't leave the house very much as a result. So I think I'm okay. Um, but I, I don't want to give it to Brent. Imagine like if I got it and I had a really easy light version of it and then I gave it to Brent and he died. I mean, what what would be worse than that? So I try not to. If Brent had the possible. easy light dose and gave it to you and you died, that would be worse. Well, I mean, I suppose, but I would be dead. So what would I care? <laughs> I'd be beyond caring logic. at that point <laughs> or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, all right. So today we're talking about Jane Fonda, daughter of Henry Fonda. Um, she did some things that pissed some people off and then she apologized. And we'll be talking about that. Right. Yeah. She did some things like. 43 years ago that pissed some people off that people are That's still mad ago. about. That was a long time ago. Yeah, people are still really mad. Um, so Jane Fonda is the daughter of Henry Fonda, as I mentioned. Uh, she was born in 1937, which makes her, I don't know, older than me. Um, 30 years older than me, actually. So she's 80-something, um, four. She was a stage actress in the 50s and started making movies in the 60s, or 1960. Um, and then in 1968, she played Barbarella in a science fiction spoof, um, which made her a famous sex symbol and won her her first Academy Award for Best Actress. Um, no, wait. She won her first Academy Award for Best Actress in the 1970s with Clute. I misread my notes. I was going um, to say, I know, right? she, she did won not win for, for Barbarella. Barbarella. 
<laughs> no. Was there she nothing else filmed that year? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. She's awesome. She looked great. In she that. is awesome. She did. She still looks great. Um, and, and over the course of her career, she has won now a total of two Academy Awards, two BAFTA Awards, seven Golden Globes, and a bunch of other awards, including some Lifetime Awards and things like that. So um, she's also been an activist since the 60s. She's known for supporting the civil rights movement and opposing the Vietnam War. And uh, as part of the, her opposition to the Vietnam War in 1970, she formed the Free the Army Anti-War Tour with Donald Sutherland, of all people. And whenever I think about Donald Sutherland, I think about the movie, the Halloween movies. But he apparently had a much broader career than just Halloween. Uh, yeah, he was. Um, so anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, he was in a lot of things. Um, yeah, 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 he was He's super well famous before Halloween. And he's the father of <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, I never realized that. That's why they have that same last name. How about that? I know. It's the way that worked. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she formed the Free the Army Anti-War Tour with Donald Sutherland and Fred Gardner, whoever he is. Um, and that was intended to engage soldiers in dialogue about the Vietnam War, or in other words, to convince soldiers not to fight, more or less. Um so I think you have some more background stuff about Jane Fonda. Would you like to share with yeah, us? Yeah, I do. I watched a two-hour and 14-minute documentary on Jane Fonda, which mm. was a love letter to Jane Fonda, I'm going to say. Right? Oh, it's very pro-Jane okay. Fonda. Um, and she is amazing, very genuine, very authentic. She owns her faults. Um one of those faults that she owns is her vanity. So we were talking about wow. how uh, she's 80, but how she just looks amazing. And mm -hmm. she was um, on a, on a, let's call it a failed talk show, Megyn Kelly's talk show when Megyn Kelly was um, on NBC in the mornings. Uh -huh. And she was, Megyn Kelly was interviewing Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. And Megan Kelly was talking to Robert Redford about being a sex symbol and his looks. And Robert Redford mm -hmm. was um, relatably self-deprecating. You know, mm -hmm. he wasn't like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, I was so hot. And oh, my God, yeah, I defined mm -hmm. male uh, beauty for generations. Long you time. know, yeah. his joke was like, yeah, people used to look at me and say, oh, my God. And now they look at me and say, oh, my God. <laughs> oh my god my voice just went out there too i was so excited um and then megan kelly turns to jane fonda and says a couple of general leading questions about um being an actress etc and then mentions plastic surgery it says oh my god something to the effect of um oh you've been very open about your plastic surgery and jane fonda says are we really going to talk about plastic surgery? We have this wonderful movie that we've uh, been working on, right? <laughs> and it yeah. kind of steers it away from there. So Megan, and then later, Jane Fonda says somewhere to somebody that gets in print that she felt that the question was inappropriate. And yeah. Megan Kelly got a little pissy, as Megan Kelly is wont to do when somebody disagrees right. with Megan Kelly's opinions. And mm -hmm. Megyn Kelly said, well, she didn't need a lesson in appropriateness from Jane Fonda. And then proceeded <laughs> to beat this dead horse that is 43 years old. Um, and that imagery makes me really sad 
but also it's kind of funny to think of Megyn Kelly beating a 43-year-old dead horse. Oh, God. (laughs) The screaming and the ranting and the outrage. Oh, my God. God. And her, her, being Megyn Kelly, her thing was... Jane Fonda is so un-American. She was opposed to the, the Civil War, Jesus, <laughs> to the Vietnam War. Get it together, Theo. <laughs> I'm doing this without looking at my notes. My notes That's tend really to confuse good. me. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to say this. I actually do think that Megyn Kelly could get, take some lessons from appropriateness from Jane Fonda. Because if we will remember, Megyn Kelly is the person who said that Santa is white and only white and that blackface (sighs) is okay for Halloween as long as you're doing a character and you're not impersonating a minstrel, which is also a character. So I don't know, Megyn, that's sort of dumb. Um, Weird. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, Easy not to be a Megyn Kelly fan these days. So Jane Fonda, who is she? Where did she come from? Her father was Henry Fonda, and he was essentially Mr. American Values for the American public. He starred in a lot of films that um, reinforced these ideas of America as a virtuous country, as Americans as a wholesome and good people. He started his career in 1935, so he started it between two world wars, World War I and World War II. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's that time that sort of like perfectly bakes into the American identity, this idea of Americans as supporting their country. Mm. You just you're an American. You support whatever the American government does. That's kind of it. Mm. And in World War Two, if I may say, we we being America um, had. I don't know I'm going to say this because I'm hearing the international audience in my head being like, oh, my God, here they go again. You're welcome for WW2. Right. <laughs> so so it was an easy war to see that there was a good side and a bad side. Right. right? Maybe not necessarily yeah. in, the, in the beginning of the war, in the midst of the war. Right. Um, but certainly by the end of the war, there was a very clear mm-hmm. good side and bad side. And America was on the good side. And that further baked into American culture, this idea that Americans and American wars are always righteous. We are mm-hmm. the good guys. And so uh, I, I'm beating that drum or that dead horse along with Megyn Kelly to <laughs> to emphasize the point that what Jane Fonda did in criticizing the war ran counter to American ideals and American values. And this helps explain some of the hatred that people had for her. She was reviled for for decades. She was box office poison for, for a long while. Um, okay, so that was her dad. He was married five times. He met and fell in love with his third wife while he was married to Jane's mother. Now, Mm. Jane's mother was Frances Ford Seymour Fonda, Henry's second wife. She was a Canadian-American socialite. She was uh, bipolar, and at the time, manic-depressive was the term. Um, Jane didn't know that growing up. She didn't know that until much later in life. Uh, And when I say much later in life, I mean into her 70s. And so... 
her mother was not able to emotionally connect with her children. Um, and unfortunately, her mother died by suicide in 1950 in an institution roughly three months after Henry Fonda had asked her for a divorce. Um, and Jane was about 12, right? Uh, yeah, she was She was yeah. young. I don't quite know what her, what her really age tough was. Tough time. Uh, yeah. So very tough time. And her father got married uh, quite quickly afterwards to his third wife, mm-hmm. who was 23 years younger than he was. And mm-hmm. Jane basically, uh, because of her mother's let's her mother's medical issues and her father's emotional unavailability and her father's remoteness mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. she essentially raised herself uh at running around in the santa monica mountains just being a kid and she lived with her dad until she was in her 20s she didn't want to be an actress she didn't really know what she wanted to do and she was just uh henry fonda's daughter And her third stepmother looked at her one day and said, hey, you have to move out and you got to move out soon. And Jane, fair enough, Jane was 20, 21. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Jane Fonda tells a story about how she just took off her high heel shoes, walked out the back door onto the beach in Malibu, walked down the beach to their neighbor's house, who was Lee Strasberg, walked up to his back steps back porch door and uh, knocked on the door and then put her high heel shoes back on and said, hi, I'd like to maybe attend your class and maybe learn about acting because this was going to be the thing that she was going to do, right? Because she grew up in the industry and she didn't have any interest really in being an actress until it was suddenly, you got to make a living. You got to make a living. Right. Yeah. And so she joined the Strasburg Academy and Strasburg for those who don't know and don't care, uh, was a very famous uh, acting coach. And he taught Marilyn Monroe. um, Oh, my God, I can't even think of any of the others. But I mean, he developed something called the Strasberg technique that people still study. And it's still it's a it's a big deal to get into the Lee Strasberg Academy. And um, she thought she was accepted in because her father was Henry Fonda. And Mm -hmm. this is going to open up a little dialogue for us right now. Because this is just fun. Totally fun to think about. And um, in Hollywood, there is this thing that's called the children of, right? Or the child of. And it is the child of a famous actor becomes an actor or an actress. The child of a famous singer becomes an actor or a singer, right? And so if we think about it, we can think of some. I mean, here we are talking about one of the original children of. This is this is something that happened um, kind of noticed in the 40s you had barbara streisand and her daughter judy garland (laughs) (laughs) never gonna let that joke go it's the best no but i mean you had eliza Benelli and her daughter judy garland or the other way around you had judy and then you had liza right yeah um and let me think um then you had Moving on into the 50s, you had Tony Curtis and his daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis. You had uh, Jane Fonda (laughs) and her dad, Henry Fonda, right? Um, Right. You had um, Frank Sinatra and then his daughter, Nancy Sinatra. You had all these kids that were falling in their parents' footsteps, achieving some 
measure of success or not, yep. right? Which yep. becomes the issue for people who live in Hollywood and use this term, the children of. It's used disparagingly because most kids don't make it, right? Even with the connections, even with the money behind them, right? They just put them on a camera and they're wooden. And you can't do nothing with that, including grammar. Um, and so they are, and I'm going to say this with love, they're the worst. They're absolutely <laughs> the worst people to hang out with. Oh, no. It's terrible, oh, no. though, because the only thing they have, oh, my God, I'm going to put so many people angry at me, and I apologize in advance, but children of, you know who you are, and you are fucking annoying. The number one clue that somebody is a child of is the minute they open the mouth, they say, my father. And it's always my father, right? Every five words, my father, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I love spaghetti. And so my father filmed a movie about spaghetti. They will let, name drop? Are you kidding? They never pick the name up to drop it down? No, they never drop the name down <laughs> to pick it up. Like, they never let go of the name. There you go. That's right, a better right. joke. So the children of are really fucking annoying. Um, and I say that with love. I worked with one. His um, dad was a TV detective, famous uh, okay. detective in the 70s. Okay. And okay. yeah. Uh, so there you go. That I made Jamie Lee Curtis and Jane Fonda all about me. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Uh, so where were we at? So she, she joins the Strasbourg... Uh, Institute, and she's sure that it's because of who her dad is. And of course, it's because of who her dad is. But also, she is exquisitely beautiful. Like, she is ridiculously beautiful. Just like, blindingly, stupidly beautiful, right? And so authentic, down to earth, you know, at mm -hmm. the same time. Anyway, so... Uh, she sits in the back of the class for two months, just observing and not wanting to really be there, kind of pausing her life on hold. And Strasburg says to her, okay, tomorrow you're on. And the next day the class is packed because everybody wants to see her fall flat on her face. And she does her thing. And at the end of it, Strasburg says to her, I've seen a lot of people come through here and you, you have real talent. Wow. Yeah. And... Clearly, that was not him saying that to uh, a child of a famous actor, right? He truly actually, because he didn't need to quite say that, right? Um, all right, so cool. So then she becomes a model. Uh, she lands two Vogue covers, but she's not like the world's most successful model, but that's still pretty fucking successful to land two covers uh, for American Vogue. Um, oh, yeah. And I don't have any. Well, I only have the one, <laughs> and it's and the one I got at Universal Studios. <laughs> no, it's the one, it's the one that I, I didn't even Photoshop it. I just used PowerPoint. <laughs> Photo of me. PowerPoint. Yeah. I PowerPointed my own. Vogue. And it's framed now right behind you. I almost called it a catalog, the Vogue catalog. <laughs> oh, I'll take that model and I'll have that model. I'm sure for some people that's what it is. Um, Probably. Okay, so let's see. So then um, during all of this, 
her dad, as I mentioned, had been remote. And one of the things that Henry Fonda um, instilled in his daughter was this sense of she's never good enough. She was too fat. She had a weird shaped body. Um, and so in order to always, you know, chasing after approval, yeah, she started taking Dexatrim and became bulimic in college. Uh, so she had an eating disorder that uh, she struggled with for most of her early adult life and speed. Lots and lots and lots of diet pills. Um, and let's say that um, I think she did pretty well for somebody who was addicted. Well, my word. Sorry, I'll take that right. back. Not for hers. somebody who was uh, high on diet pills, apparently a lot. <laughs> um so she moves to France to perfect her craft. And she said she never felt more American than when she was in France, which allows me to say Jane Fonda and I have something in common because I also never felt so proud to be an American than when I was in France. You in America, I'm like, oh, America's a bad country. We have bad political things that we do. Oh God, what a you know, what a backwards, backwater culture we are. And I get to France, and je parle français, je dors la langue, mais je bouche anglaise. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh -huh. yeah, that's my French. <laughs> <laughs> I I love French, but I have an English mouth is what I think I'm saying. But in French, it's probably more like, I like France, I eat English. I don't know what it means. <laughs> and so we were staying at this uh, little tiny hotel and there was this cute little cafe right across the street. It was so fucking French, like the ideal, just like postcard kind of thing. And this was just at the time of uh, the Gulf War and America was not popular in Europe. We were hated. And to the point where James told me, if anybody asks, just tell them you're Canadian, right? So we sit down and I order un hamburger. And I didn't know the French for French fries. So I said <laughs> French fries. Now I know uh -huh. palm fruit, right? Right, right. But it may, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to maybe, maybe, maybe I said palm fruit, whatever. The waiter just looked at me like I was speaking Greek to him. And oh, God, right. Yeah. Didn't understand. Where were you? Were you in Paris? We were in Paris, yeah. Yeah, figures. Didn't understand a single fucking word. And I'm going to even point out that we were in a tourist district, right? Yeah. So, oh, no. Yeah, that happened to me, but go ahead. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Frenchie, if you want to pretend that you don't understand the word hamburger and French uh -huh. fries. But fuck you. So this is what I did. <laughs> I said, I'll have a hamburger and an order of freedom fries. <laughs> oh, you didn't. I did. Oh, well, God. if you don't speak English, then you're not going to be insulted. <laughs> and if you do speak English, then fuck you. Oh, my Come God. Come on. I mean, I oh, know you're not funny. working for a tip, but you are carrying the hamburger. I mean, you should at least like, you know. It gauge your yeah. mind, learn some, learn another language, please. Yeah. Learn my language so I don't uh, have to learn we yours. Were in, I went to Paris when I was working for American Airlines, so I got to fly first class there, which was fucking fantastic. Um, I know, right? And anyway, so we were there, me and two girls that I worked with who I hated. But anyway, we were there in, in <laughs> Paris and we went into this. 
I love that both of the travel stories you told on this show involve you going to cities with people that you hated. <laughs> that's that's my lot in life. Travel the world, but with people I hate. Um so we went into this jewelry store, and one of the girls wanted to know what time it was. So she didn't speak any French at all, and she's, like, asking the guy behind the counter what time is it, and he's pretending he doesn't have any idea what she's saying. And so she's pointing at her wrist, like, you know, like the watch thing, and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, it's completely blank expression on his face. And and this goes on for, like, five freaking minutes with her trying to, exp- trying to you know, he's like, what time is it? Right. And all this sort of thing. And so finally I get fed up, and I said, and he says, oh, it's, you know, five o'clock or whatever in French. And it was just like, I just wanted to smack him because he knew, he absolutely knew what, what she was saying. Of course and he did. It, it was just so rude. So, and, and then one time, um, one of the girls I was with was trying to speak French at a restaurant and she, the waiter made fun of her accent because it was terrible. But um, I'm like, why? Just why? So Paris, you suck. I love Paris. It's my favorite city outside of Amsterdam <laughs> and maybe tied with Amsterdam. And I love it when people are rude to me. I didn't love that one waiter because he was rude on purpose. But the pretend yeah. rude, I'm into. Like, you know. Okay, this is my other French story. So back in those days, I was uh, very health conscious and I drank a lot of water. And I was constantly running into these little stores asking for une bottle d'eau. Uh-huh. Right? And getting the blankest stares on the planet. Now, James speaks French, by the way. Yeah. But he wouldn't help yeah. me. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, whatever. On the last day as we're leaving for the airport, and I had just performed my last trick of running into a little shop to find un bottle du, right? Uh-huh. He said, you should just go in and say Avion. <laughs> Fuck you for laughing at me for three days. Well, you could have told me that oh on God. day one. Hot tip. Everybody understands the word avion. Say avion. Oh, my God. Anyway, Jane Fonda didn't have those problems because she spoke French. And I will say that um, in the French that I heard her speak in this documentary, and this is like the early days, um, yeah, she got a bit of an American accent, but uh, she's fluent. And she certainly seems to be fluent anyway. Uh, she meets a French director named Roger Vadim, and they get married. They live in France on a farm. She has the most incredible life with him. He's an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler, but he is the, what? He's the engine of French Hollywood, right? Um, and let's see. At a certain point, the war breaks out, and... She says to her husband, at one point, they're watching the news, and there's something about how the American Congress has has passed uh, an approval to go to war against Vietnam. And she says something like, oh, my. And he says, what is your country doing? Oh, my gosh, this is impossible. They can never win. And she thought to herself, oh, right, just because the French lost, America is going to lose? No. And this this idea of the war really starts to tug at her. And again, this I, also this idea of she never feels more American than when she's abroad. And so oh, yeah. the pull to come home and help her country. And also she's a little done with her marriage to Roger. 
Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Apparently, the uh, losing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, the extramarital affairs, the massive drunken blackouts, the great creativity that came with that. He was sexy as fuck, right? Um, lots of lots of good stuff, but the bad things, right? And when she would point the bad things out to him, they were married. He would say, mm-hmm. they had a child together. Oh my gosh. He would say, oh, you're so bourgeois. <laughs> what what do you care what I do? You're so bourgeois, right? Oh, Except God. he would say it in French. Um, right. And let's see. Uh, so their daughter, Vanessa, I'm just going to slot this in here right now because it's the best burn I've ever heard that wasn't a burn. Okay. 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 So um, Jane Fonda talks about how her father was always criticizing her body and that led to her being vain, a trait that she's not proud of. And so the plastic mm-hmm. surgery is complete response to that. Mm. And she says in this documentary on HBO, Jane Fonda, five acts, really good. She says, I, I'm not proud of my plastic surgery. I'm not proud of this need to feel good or, or to look good. Uh, I love lived in faces. I love old faces. I love Vanessa Redgrave's face. Oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) Now, why is that the perfect moment for me to drop in that quote? I'm going to say, sick burn, Jane. Good one. Um, (laughs) Turns out it's not a burn. Vanessa Redgrave is one of her best friends, and she named her daughter Vanessa after Vanessa Redgrave, her friend of like 50, 60 years. Wow. Wow. I know. So I went from, oh my God, why do you hate Vanessa Redgrave so much to, and it's much later in the documentary that, that Jane Fonda says, oh, I named my daughter Vanessa after Vanessa Redgrave, where it connected those dots and it was like, oh, huh. oh. They must have talked about it together, about getting plastic about surgery and not getting plastic face. surgery. And about her old face. Yes, because you know it would come up, so they must have been been frank with each other for for jane fonda to say something like that you would hope they would have discussed it in the past of and it course. wasn't just like you know oh god <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> let's see so that kind of takes us into the war and why don't i uh turn the microphone over to you and let you um help us sure, understand i'll go on i'll go on about the war for a bit um or about jane fonda in the war so in 72 um at, and at this point she had been in the movies we discussed earlier clute and barbarella and some other ones so she was one of the most famous actresses in the u.s um and she was one of about a total of 300 americans who went to vietnam in 1972 to see the war firsthand so she went to uh, hanoi to see the bombing damage that was done to the dikes along the red river there uh, after which she believed and reported that the dikes had been intentionally targeted by the U.S. She also made radio broadcasts on Hanoi Radio during her visit, uh, in which she denounced U.S. military policy and discussed the civilian targets she had seen bombed by the U.S., including those dikes. She also visited American prisoners of war and brought back messages to their families in the U.S. And as she wrote in 2011, on my last day in Hanoi, I was exhausted and an emotional wreck after the two-week visit. The translator told me that the soldiers wanted to sing me a song. He translated as they sung. It was a song about the day Uncle Ho declared their country's independence in Hanoi's Badin Square. I heard these words, All men are created equal. They are given certain rights. Among these are life, liberty, and happiness. 
These are the words Ho pronounced at the historic ceremony. I began to cry and clap. These young men should not be our enemy. They celebrate the same words Americans do. The soldiers asked me to sing for them in return. I had memorized a song called De Ma Di, written by anti-war South Vietnamese students. I knew I was slaughtering it, but everyone seemed delighted that I was making the attempt. Everyone was laughing and clapping, including me. Here is my best honest recollection of what happened. Someone, I don't remember who, led me towards the gun, and I sat down, still laughing, still applauding. It all had nothing to do with where I was sitting. I hardly even thought about where I was sitting. The cameras flashed. It is possible that it was a setup, that the Vietnamese had it all planned. I will never know. But if they did, I can't blame them. The buck stops here. If I was used, I allowed it to happen. A two-minute lapse of sanity that will haunt me forever." So this photo session got her the nickname Hanoi Jane, and as Theo has mentioned, outraged many in the U.S., many of whom are still outraged, like 50 years later. Um, So at the time that the photo was taken, the war had been dividing people among generational and political lines. So young people, for many young people, saw it as an unwinnable war of death and destruction. And uh, this was emphasized by the fact that it was the first war that was actually televised, uh, first war that was on TV. So it, the television brought the war home and the killing was, was horrific to many. Jane Fonda has uh, always said that the goal of her actions was to end the killing and the war, but her detractors, at least according to GroovyHistory.com, say that her actions cross a line from protest to treason. Even if she was attempting to end the war, she did so in a way that appeared to condone or encourage the enemy. So at this time, she had also made several radio announcements over the voice of Vietnam radio to implore U.S. pilots to stop the bombings. I appealed to them to please consider what you are doing. I don't think they know, she said in a news conference when she got home. The people who are speaking out against the war are the patriots. She said the radio addresses were the only way to get access to American soldiers because she was barred from meeting them at their bases in South Vietnam. So she seems to have been apologizing for all this ever since it happened. She apologized in 1988 to Barbara Walters. Um, before I read the apologies, do you have any more to add about the um, the pictures? Well, I mean, I will say that what I like about Jane Fonda in this moment is she recognized she had a platform and she tried to use it for peace. I can absolutely see where a particular generation, let's call that my grandfather's generation, would have seen her as a communist. Um, But I can also see, because, hey, a different generational view, which isn't the generation that was, I don't want to use the word brainwashed, because I don't want the government to come and kidnap me, but (laughs) was brainwashed into believing that everything the government says is correct. And you have this moment where the government is saying, I'll paraphrase here, the war is good. And then you have these images that are being uh, seen across living room uh, homes, living room homes, living room homes, living room homes. Yes. (laughs) What? What I'm trying to say, and it was sounding a little dramatic in my head, and so I ended up dancing. Welcome to my head. This is how things go in here. Um, I wanted to say the images flickering on the screen, but it was like, oh, come on, please. Too dramatic. But at the same time, it was dramatic. Americans were not used to seeing real life death and destruction. And what they were seeing was chaos. And mm-hmm. they, they being Mr. and Mrs. American and their children, were experiencing war um, 
sort of vicariously through the television set, but then at the same time, the number one mode of information and entertainment and the war was information, not entertainment. And people had to really reconcile, what do I do with my feelings, my personal feelings about seeing children on fire running down the, I mean, horrific, right? Um, So, so it, did change to think basically this is where the entertainment industry i say entertainment industry this is where television this is where do you want to call news social media even in a way sure right people talking to other people without going through the filter of government bureaucracy so people speaking directly to people um the that knee-jerk patriotism was rethought by a generation of people, which I'll say is how Jane Fonda was able to um, maintain a career because once upon a time, she would have been, uh, uh, what, what, what were the McCarthy? So many people lost their, their careers just because the taint of communism was on them. And yeah. she narrowly escaped that by, call it 10 years. Yeah, I mean, there's some problems with communism uh, as it was expressed at the time, and there are problems with democracy as it is expressed currently. So um, no one is really right, and it's just a big mess. That's my two cents. (laughs) 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 So back to Jane Fonda. So she's been apologizing. After after all that. So now back to Jane Fonda. We just left democracy and communism in tatters behind us. <laughs> blew up. Two, what it's kind of the, the way it is. Huh? It's kind of the way it is. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of the way it is. Anyway, now back to Jane Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, can't, certainly, we certainly can't solve the problems of democracy and communism well, on this podcast. Jane Fonda so. tried. We could try. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do that at the end after. Um, uh, after we think about sorry, it some now. more. <laughs> <laughs> so Jane Fonda, in a 1988 interview with Barbara Walters, she said, I would like to say something not just to Vietnam veterans in New England, but to men who are in Vietnam who I hurt or whose pain I caused to deepen because of things that I said or did. I was trying to help end the killing in the war, but there were times when I was thoughtless and careless about it, and I'm very sorry that I hurt them. And I want to apologize to them and their families. I will go to my grave regretting the photograph of me in an anti-aircraft gun, which looks like I was trying to shoot at American planes. It hurt so many soldiers. It galvanized such hostility. It was the most horrible thing I could possibly have done. It was just thoughtless. And now I think she's over-apologizing here a little bit. Um, but I think her point is that she always supported the individual troops, which she did. Um, she she tried to talk to them as close to one-on-one as she could get and, and convince them that the war was wrong. Um, and she really didn't believe that they were fighting consciously a bad war. Um, and she does, I believe, feel sorry that she has hurt those people individually. Oh, she was very um, much a supporter of the soldiers. She was Miss Army Recruiter 1959. Was she? She was, yes. Uh, you, I didn't know that. I'm just going to say, you don't grow up Henry Fonda's daughter and not love America. Uh, uh, 
so um, Jane Fonda really did feel bad for for what she did, whether it was intentional or not. Um, and she she notes though that the photo exists, delivering its message regardless of what I was doing or feeling. I carry this heavy in my heart. I have apologized numerous times for any pain I may have caused servicemen and their families because of this photograph. It was never my intention to cause harm. And she said that in 2011. Um, and she's apologized many times. It seems like any time it comes up, she apologizes about it. Um, but she still has been hated deeply by many Americans since these photographs were taken, even now, 50 years later. Uh, on Wynn on IndieWire.com says the depth of loathing is actually perplexing to comprehend. And at the time, some law members called her actions treason. Congress held hearings. The Veterans of Foreign Wars passed a resolution calling for her to be prosecuted as a traitor. And the Maryland State Legislature held a hearing to have Fonda and her films barred from the state. I don't know if they ever did that. I bet they didn't. But... Um, yeah, it'd but, be hard but people to, were opposed to her. Hard to ban someone from showing your movies. Yeah. But um, so, it is that idea of calling, uh, humiliating somebody in the center of the public square. Yeah. Calling them out on the carpet. Exactly. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah. And even, even in 2015, when she was giving a speech, uh, it was in Maryland, uh, so in January of 2015, there were 50 veterans who got together and carried signs that said, forgive, maybe, forget, never. Never. I, I mean, that that is some hatred. But she was yeah. able to to still win awards and yeah. I mean, not that not that the measure of success is winning awards, but she was still able to work and she was still able she to. She wasn't canceled. She was not canceled. So how that happened, I'm not sure. I guess that the, the, it was the 60s and the 70s, and people were had a much more open attitude towards protesters than they did previously, and then perhaps they do even now. So she was able to be very successful at her uh, career and uh, win many awards. Um, Howard Lisnoff at counterpunch.org wrote in his article, Memo to Jane Fonda, will you please stop apologizing? What was most notable about the U.S. involvement in Vietnam was its brutality. Words in places such as My Lai, Tiger Force, Strategic Hamlets, Carpet Bombing, Fire Free Zones, and Napalm all have been well documented by U.S. soldiers who took part in the war and were seared into the memory of those involved and by those who opposed it. That the Vietnamese, Vietnamese people were reduced to the racist term, the G-word, is further evidence of the degradation of that war. Most soldiers who served in Vietnam did not commit atrocities, but a minority did, and those actions were supported at the highest levels of government, punished by what amounted to a slap on the wrist or ignored by the government. Fonda served the peace movement well during the war, and her years of agonizing over her role in the anti-war movement and apologizing to vets has outlived any useful purpose. When war has come to be accepted as the norm, as it has been since 2001 by the endless wars that are now fought in our name, when a vibrant anti-war movement is nowhere to be found, when militarism is second nature in our society... When military spending, currently $637 billion, almost twice the 2001 figure, goes unquestioned while this society is more unequal by way of income distribution than it has been in decades, and when the reporting of war is done only by the few and at great personal risk, then the example of those who spoke up against war when it was unpopular to do so must be held up as noble and not ridiculed or apologized for. And I will say I agree with that. And what I like about Jane Fonda's apology is she's apologizing for her actions, yeah. but not her stance. 
she's apologizing for right. people who she unintentionally hurt, but it's for that episode where she was photographed sitting on a, not a machine gun, but whatever you call those big cannon Anti-air gun things. Anti-aircraft gun. Anti-aircraft yeah. gun, right? Uh, so, so yes. But how do you, how do you, how do you protest a war without hurting the people that are fighting it? I think you, I'm working through this because. I don't I, think you can. I mean, what did she expect? I guess is what I'm saying here. Like, did, did she, did she think that her, I don't know. I, I have some questions. So let's talk a little bit about whether this apology was, was, is good. Um, I have some questions about whether or not she intended to do what she did. I'm, I'm not sure that. I think she put herself in a position where she could be seated in this anti-aircraft gun knowingly. And surely when they led her to an anti-aircraft gun and sat her down on it, she wasn't oblivious. No, but she might have been. uh, This is just me jumping into Jane Fonda's head for one second, right? Maybe 10 seconds. Remember those uh, posters where it's like the, the pointy. I'm so good with guns. It's the pointy end of a gun of like a rifle and then there's a daisy that's stuck in it. Oh yeah. 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 Like that, that the muscle. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I know what a gun looks like. <laughs> I know what the trigger is called. I know what bullets look like. I know they're called ammunition and then it just starts to fall down from there. Um, that's okay. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I, I'm so, I'm so anti-gun. I don't even know what the parts <laughs> are, but, um, it might might be the muzzle. It doesn't matter what it, it is, is because the, the idea is that you have this gentling of the machinery of death. Right? Yes. And maybe that is what Jane Fonda thought that, maybe. oh, if I maybe. sit on this, it'll be, you know, oh, Hollywood and oh, pretty girl and oh, right. oh we're all that friends. Could be. I hadn't thought about that. And even if she did know what she was doing, I don't think it was necessarily wrong. I mean, she was an anti-war protester and she was pro- uh, do I want to say pro-communism? Maybe. I don't, I mean, I, at that point, I'm going to, as somebody who once defended communism on this show, um, uh-huh. uh, inadvertently, I have so much in common with Jane Fonda. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she really does love uh, the idea of America, right? And when I, I say see. the idea of America, I mean, these, these pure all men Democracy. are created equal, blah, 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 right? Uh-huh. Like, don't go below the surface because it all starts to fall apart. But the ideals, right? Yeah. And so um, was she pro-communism? She was probably pro-letting people live the lives they wanted to live. Um, Who knows? But, we can't say. Well, we could, I could call her. <laughs> Give her a call, ask her. Was she pro communism in nineteen seventy two? Yeah, we'll just ask her. Um Let's ask but her she's now. gone on Okay. <laughs> hey Jay, when you hear this, could you just like hit us up and let us know? Apology yeah, net. You could just say it's me, she's, Jane. We'll know. We'll know. Um she's since continued to be uh, active. She is an environmentalist now and a champion of women. She established the Jane Fonda Center for Adolescent Reproductive Health in 2001, which helps present, prevent teen pregnancy. What's wrong with teen pregnancy? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, in 2019, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, and she has also demonstrated and spoken in support of Native Americans and Palestinians and in opposition to the Iraq Wars. So there's this amazing component to uh, Jane Fonda 
that I never realized until we started researching this episode, which is she is not... I sort of knew that like she'd been a war activist, but the rest Mm -hmm. of the activism, I just sort of like, it wasn't really on my radar. Um, She made a promise to herself in the seventies that any movie she ever did would be for a cause. And so she did the China syndrome, which was all about uh, uh, nuclear power plant cover up. Right. And then a few might have been a few weeks after the China Syndrome was released, Three Mile Island happened, which was oh. a failure of nuclear power plant that people tried to cover yeah. up, right? And it yeah. perfectly paralleled a China Syndrome, which had been filmed and released before Three Mile Island, right? Um, and then 9 to 5, where she's championing women in the workforce uh, and and workers' rights. Now, admittedly, some of the later work, like Monster-in-Law, I haven't seen it. It's <laughs> probably not. I think that's just a very, not, I'm happy yeah. to be working. Um, but uh, so so we'll backtrack a little bit into her life. She'd married this French guy, Roger Vadim. She had a daughter with him. She's living in France. They're on a farm. The war breaks out. She's feeling the call. She's tired of the philandering. They get divorced. She comes back to the States. And in 1973, she marries a guy named Tom Hayden, who was the golden child of anti-war activism. He was Mm -hmm. an author and an activist. And Jane Fonda had another child with him. And they were married for quite a few years and worked together in a very hippie commune type environment where she didn't live in Beverly Hills. Uh, She didn't live in a mansion. She could have afforded to. She She probably lived in Ojai or something. uh, You know, I don't remember what town she lived in, but I can tell you this. uh, She lived in a very average house on a very Mm -hmm. average street with roommates. She and her husband didn't have a dishwasher. They washed all their dishes by hands. And their son, uh, whose name I don't remember, and they gave him a completely different last name from either of theirs because they didn't want him to grow up with the taint of being a Fonda or being a Hayden. Hayden. Thank you. I had to look to see what his name was. Um, And their son in the documentary talks about, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, vacation meant going to war-ravished countries and standing in soup kitchens and handing out food and birthday presents that I got were like, we made a donation to UNICEF in your name. <laughs> and fair oh, enough. There was a, there was a little teeny seed of bitterness in, in yeah. that one moment, but this guy sure. absolutely loves his mother. Uh, That's good. She walks the walk a hundred percent authentic. So she's living in a house with roommates. They're, um, they're active in many different fronts. As you mentioned, the uh, First Nation Native American, the American Indian Movement, AIM. Um, they're doing a lot with freedom and democracy, and they're having some trouble funding their efforts. And so yeah. Jane Fonda is th- thinking, well, what what could I do to earn some money for for our organization. Well, I like aerobics. So the (laughs) Jane Fonda workout, which absolutely shaped, puns intended, American (laughs) culture 
for <laughs> yeah. 10 years. I mean, Jesus Christ. At least. My mother had every fucking Jane Fonda workout video. She had all the books. I've wow. seen all the jumping around and wow. all of it. Like, I've seen the Jane Fonda workout more times than I care to remember. Um, yes. And all of the money that was earned was earned by the organization because the organization actually owned the rights. Well, Jane Fonda was not only ahead of the American anti-war sentiment um, around Vietnam, she was also ahead of the workout craze. So she sold, or their organization sold, 17 million copies of the Jane Fonda workout. There were only 18 million people in America at the time. So, I mean, <laughs> everybody had one. And Jane Fonda was inducted into the video hall of fame she no is, way she was and <laughs> i'm sure for our gen z followers our devoted gen z's um, <laughs> oh okay she was voted into the video but yeah she won an oscar no no brainchild the video machines not filmography the devices that actually people hooked up to their the vcrs right and so this video hall of fame is for people who furthered the progress of home video theater and she's the only non-engineer inducted into the wow. hall of fame i didn't know that her interesting Jane fonda workout did more for getting yeah. people to buy VHS, VCR, VHS. I remember reading that people people bought VCRs just to do the Jane Fonda workout. And crazy that that financial boom um, solely predicated on Jane Fonda's video, right? Um, got her into the Hall of Fame. Her proudest achievement. Yeah. I made that part up, uh, but it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> the video Hall um, of Fame. Yeah, so she's married to Tom for a while. He's a big activist. And then um, their marriage slowly starts, and they were together for a long while, um, starts to erode. Uh, Tom once made a comment in an interview that if he and Jane are in the same room at the same time, there's a scheduling conflict somewhere. Oh, my God. Or a scheduling mistake was what he said. Yeah. Right? And that just meant that, like, oh, they're both so busy. They're both uh, blah, but separate lives. And so... They get divorced, they remain friendly, and then she meets Ted Turner, and they get married. And for those who don't know, and again, Gen Z, oh my God, welcome to the world. There's so much you're going to have to catch up on, but I'll help you real quick. <laughs> he founded CNN and was uh, one of probably the first billionaires. He was a media tycoon. He was... He, and I remember being shocked that she married him. Oh, I was shocked, too, because I was like, yeah. oh, my God, he's so old. Um, well, that was not why, but okay. Oh, well, that was why for me. <laughs> I'm going to pass out. I can't breathe. <laughs> what was the other reason? Because he's from Montana? Because he was a bee, a tycoon, and she is an, an activist. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Because that's just more money to fund things. Well, but he was he was kind of a bad guy, even back then, because he, he had so much money and he did all these CNN things. I don't remember. Well, Whatever. I'm going to trust you 
And so okay. I'm going to say, Jane, shame on you. I am shocked. <laughs> He's too old for you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe back in the 90s, that was on my radar. Like, what? what is this Hollywood, you know, her royalty so it, quite honestly i mean jane fonda is is hollywood royalty yeah um, what, what is she doing marrying this guy right but it was more because he seemed so old um yeah and then they had a uh, they were married for a long while they had a very amicable divorce and in this video now everybody has to watch this jane fonda documentary because it was just I really have good to watch it. she goes yeah. to visit him um in his on his ranch Right. Palatial mansion. And uh, he's interviewed and basically says that he was never happier than when he was married to her. And it was heartbreaking, especially because he looks the same as he did when she married him. And so he's aged really well. Yeah. I'm just saying that. I don't know. (laughs) I haven't seen a picture of him, Um, so I don't know. But, well, I'm sorry that his heart was broken, but she seems pretty happy now. Well, this is the first time in her life that she says she doesn't need a man to complete her or define her. her. That when she married Roger, he basically, uh, sorry, Roger Vadim, he basically defined an era of her life. He made her Barbarella, the Hollywood starlet, the the beauty, the the sex. And then when she married Tom, um, it, it sort of helped reinforce i don't want to say gave birth didn't give birth to her activism but it helped her hone her activism right Mm -hmm. i'm sure now she is never going to sit on a machine gun on purpose right or accidentally um and uh the marriage with ted he i know him i can call him ted he uh he was very needy and didn't want her too far away so mm. the activism kind of died down a little bit. Her personal appearances um, died down a little bit. Um, she was still active, but basically at a cost to their relationship. So if she went to a conference in China and was gone for four days, he was really sad. And, oh, and it okay. presented a problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so now Jane Fonda realizes that she defines herself. Uh, and this probably is also an outgrowth of her work around feminism. She certainly grew up in a culture that a woman needs a man. That's how you know you're a woman. Because mm-hmm. how else? Right. Right. I hear you. I know you do, because I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're telling me what it is, how it is. Well, I explained it to you. Yeah, thank you're you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, how do we rate her apology on a scale of one to ten? Well, I am going to give it a ten um, for authenticity, and I hear you on the the repetitiveness or the over. I don't want to call it over apologizing, yeah. but yeah. I am going to say that to me. The story never changes. It's always, I'm sorry for the soldiers. And that she is open to, if if you want to talk to Jane Fonda, one, be old. Two, put on a Vietnam outfit. And I mean like a... <laughs> a Vietnam outfit. God. 
Fond war and be uh, legitimately <laughs> upset with Jane Fonda for her one photo, ever for her activism, for being against war or whatever. And you don't like the way she handled herself or conducted herself, or that she allowed herself to be in a mi- manipulated by the uh, Vietnamese, blah, 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 whatever it is, right? She will apologize to you. Wow. And so for me, that's a that's a solid a 10 a 10 a 10 my high 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 right like let's give it yeah. a nine let's, let's okay. give it a nine i'll give it an eight because i'm irritated by all the apologizing Yippee. but and also because because i think i think she might have meant it when she was at that aircraft anti-aircraft gun and i think she should have owned it but i mm. i could be wrong so i'm giving her the benefit of the doubt but i think it was an eight because it was a good solid apology um and I actually want to say that um, I found out, or I've been thinking about whatever apologies. And you know that poem, the plums in the icebox poem by William Carlos Williams? No. I've eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious. So sweet and so cold. So that's not a bad apology. Now, it, it's not a great apology, but I was thinking about that uh, from the apology standpoint, because he says um, he accepts responsibility by saying, I've eaten the plums that were in the icebox. And he uh, accepts the effect of the um, actions that he's taken by saying, in which you were probably saving for breakfast. Um, and then he expresses remorse by saying, forgive me. But then he says they were delicious, so sweet and so cold, which is kind of like... I really like them. It was great. I don't really feel that bad about it. Okay, that's fine. Um, but if he just added one more stanza that said, next time I go to Lucky, I'll get you more plums, then it would be a perfect apology just about. So um, I'm going to use that as a guideline for my apologies going forward. Um, oh, good since one. We have, since we have not yet published the vintage episode in which we talk about what makes a good apology, uh, for now we can use this poem as sort of a guideline i like it and you're right because in that vintage episode that i have not listened to since we recorded it i think we actually Uh had a checklist that we sort of coughed up yeah and yeah what was it who was it what are we doing what's the point of this show yeah so (laughs) i think your poem is a good uh good guideline for us and so yes um and then I hear you on the over-apologizing because it, then it does start to get into, well, how sincere is this apology if you just keep saying it again and again and again and again? Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm i going to say even with all of that, it's very clear that she's... Uh, she's sorry genuine, for something. Authentic. Yeah, so, I think she's authentic. Nine. Total so nine. So who's, who's sorry now? Okay, so I I had to think about this one, and I love okay. the theme, and so my theme is protesting, and I have an apology, uh, which is funny, and then it's going to be sad, too, because it's actually it's about uh, Myanmar. Uh-huh. Uh, when I lived in Dallas, 
my friend Kristen and I, Kristen called me one day and she's like, oh my God, Theo, there's a protest against Myanmar at the consulate in Dallas. Let's go. And I was uh-huh. like, oh my God, I haven't been to a protest in a thousand years. Let's go. And so Kristen came to pick me up and James was like, were you guys, do you even know where Myanmar is? <laughs> and we're like, geography is not important. What's important is that people are suffering. So we drove to the consulate and there were four people and oh, we wow. sat in our car for five minutes and stared at those four people. And then Kristen said, they look like a bunch of losers. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and we left. Oh, no. And so my, oh, no. my apology is to my four activism self. Um, yeah. oh, we should say it to them. They weren't rip, lip, rip leaders, lip readers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now you're saying that they look like losers. They're probably listening. I'm I'm sure I'll hear from them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so my apology is to my my activism, my activist self, uh, uh-huh. because clearly I didn't really care about the issues. I just wanted to go and shout and be in a crowd. Uh-huh. Okay. And so boo All on right. me. Um, yeah, and that. That's that. What about you? What do you got? Who's sorry now? Um, my mother is sorry. She owes me an apology. So <gasps> she's not sorry, but she should be. So it was my birthday last week. Happy birthday to me. And um, she sent me a card a week late. And it was a thank you card. And it had the words thank you crossed out and happy birthday written over no. it. And not only that, but it was uh, a card from a box of cards that I had given her for Christmas. No. So, all right. Yes, that's, Your mother that's how I rate with my mother. Sent you the cards you gave her for... By the way, you gave your mother a box of thank you cards for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all I gave her. I just thought they were really pretty. So, okay. and, you know, everyone needs thank you cards. I don't know. Did but, she thank yeah, you? Yeah, I know. So, no, she didn't thank oh, you for okay. the thank you cards. And I'm sure that that was part of her sending me that card back. It was like, how dare you send me a box of thank you cards for Christmas? So I'm going to use them to write, to wish you a happy birthday with them. So <laughs> That's yeah. a- Deep level, like. Um, well, who do we know better than we know our mothers? So. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm an orphan. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that is actually such a great story. I'm going to tell it. Um, <laughs> that's did, my story. Did she, was it like a big X through the thank you, or was it? Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like a giant yeah. slasher kind of X? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Oh, that's angry. And then happy birthday over the top. And then something else about Fuck some you. bullshit I don't remember. Oh, she sent me money, too, so that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that part. <laughs> and I'll take the card, the thank you card, because there was money that came with it. <laughs> you know what? Ready? Save it. When's her birthday? Um, save the money? No, Her birthday save is the September. card. The card and send it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know how to play this game. I'm from the same family. <laughs> that would be awesome. I totally should do that. All right. That's all I have for this week. Do we have anything else? We do not. Um, we have another episode, but that's Coming not up next week. today. Or yeah, surprise, we'll, uh... back to back. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at apologiesaccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at apologies.accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>